I started thinking about apples this last week, uh, and um, I thought about, you know, the whole apple a day keeps the doctor away thing. And so I did a little research on apples, actually, and they're pretty amazing. Uh, there are several different studies they classify uh, apples as, like, the number one superfood. Uh, I mean, there was so much, I had to, like, wait a minute, I'm teaching the Bible, not apples, right? <laughs> but it's just amazing. They got a lot of vitamin C, a potassium. Then they have a whole bunch of other trace minerals in them. And, and what they found is it's not so much uh, 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 each vitamin or mineral on itself, but it's a proper combination of those things that uh, bring health benefits. Uh, so, but the main ones in this is vitamin C and potassium, and they have uh, antioxidants. Uh, they are uh, what they call phytonutrients, just plant nutrients. It's another name for plant nutrients, and and they have anti-inflammatory. You know, that's the what you would get from taking an aspirin or something like that. Uh, anti-cancer, uh, antidepressant. I was really kind of shocked to hear that, and, and most of the nutrients of the apple are in the skin. And they have a lot of sugar, but it's low glycemic. So like if you eat a Snickers bar and you were to test your blood, your blood skyrockets, right? It goes like, just goes out the roof. Uh, but if you eat an apple, which has a lot of sugar in it, because it's low glycemic, it, it burns off real slow. So it's, uh, it's if you're such a thing as good sugar, this is good sugar that's in the apple, and there's quite a bit of it in there. But I was pleasantly surprised to find that out because uh, I have type 2 diabetes, and I'll be honest with you, I would just crave apples sometimes, and so now I wouldn't eat one this big, but, uh, but uh, yeah, they're really good. And they have fiber, a special type of fiber in them to where the fiber that is in there would work if a person has constipation. It helps move things along, but if a person has diarrhea, it would absorb the moisture. So it's like the perfect fiber. Okay. And so the reason I'm even talking about this apple, I mean, I mean, we know they're good and they taste great. And, but the main reason I'm talking about it, it's got all this stuff and it's like the perfect food designed for humans to eat. So it kind of goes back to like, we watched the movies about the creatures and they just couldn't evolve. Well, how could by chance, humans evolve. And then alongside that, just put just the apple, not all the rest of the food that would evolve also. And it would just happen to be the perfect food for humans to eat. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Apples. (laughs) Anyway. So... Well, uh, we're going to talk today about uh, Abraham and Isaac, and actually we're going to get into the birth of Isaac. Uh, It's kind of an interesting situation that we're in because uh, back in Genesis 18 is where the narrative starts. If you remember, I can uh, envision in my mind where, you know, Abraham's sitting in his tent and uh, he's kind of like up on like a mesa, and then the Lord and the angels show up, and they have this little meeting there. And, and they talk about, you know, hey, 
Isaac's going to be born. Like, it's going to happen. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to go back to Genesis 18. We'll read through it real quick. And uh, and that'll set the stage for uh, uh, Genesis 21. It says, uh, it says, Then the Lord appeared to him uh, by the oak trees of Mamre uh, as he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. He's talking about Abraham here. So he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. Uh, when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, if you have found favor in your, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree, and I will bring a morsel of bread that, you're, that you may refresh your hearts. After that, you may pass pass by inasmuch as you have come to your servant. And they said, do as you have said. So Abraham hurried to the end of the tent to Sarah and said, quickly, make, a, make ready three measures of fine meal, knead it, and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd, took a tender and good calf, and gave it to a young man, and he hastened to prepare it. So he took butter and milk and the calf and which he had prepared and set it before them and they stood and they and he stood by them uh, under the tree as they ate. Uh, then they said to him, "Where is Sarah, your wife?" So he said, "Here in the tent." Uh, and he said, "I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son." And so Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being, uh, shall I, shall I, excuse me. After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Hey, why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. So uh, so at that point, you know, you're all ready, and it kind of sets the stage for uh, the the birth of uh, Isaac, but there's a break in the narrative there. You know what uh, uh, we see Abraham, he intercedes for Sodom and then there's the, you know, the sin of Sodom. We get the scene of what's going on in Sodom. Then there's the actual judgment. And then you have what happens to Lot. So there's this big, long narrative that follows this. And so by the time you get to 21, uh, you've, uh, it's kind of anticlimactic, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So um, let's, let's go on. So we can go ahead and start um, uh, at verse 21. Uh, let me see where we're at here. It says, And the Lord visited... Uh, and the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, 
And the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. Uh, For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and all who hear will laugh with me. Uh, She also said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Uh, For I have borne him a son in his old age. So the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, uh, whom she had borne to Abraham, scoffing. Uh, Therefore she said to Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. Uh, and And the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. But God said to Abraham, Do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. For in Sarah, uh, your seed shall be called. Yet I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman because he is your seed. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and Putting it on her shoulder, he gave it and the boy to Hagar and sent her away. She departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water in the skin was used up, and she placed the boy under one of the shrubs. Then she went and sat down across from him at a distance of about a bow shot. uh, For she said to herself, let me not see the death of the boy. So she sat opposite him. And it lifted her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad. Uh, Then the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, What ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise and lift up the lad and hold him with your hand, for we will make him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw the well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. So God was with the lad, and he grew and dwelled in the wilderness and became an archer. He dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him in the land of Egypt. So let's pray. Father, we just uh, thank you for your word that we could come and um, uh, just learn from the experiences that we see here uh, in the Old Testament. Father, I just pray that uh, we'd be filled with your spirit and that, that you would teach us and uh, pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So we're just going to uh, go through these verses here and uh, see if we can make some sense out of it. So starting at verse 1, it says, And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. So basically God's keeping his promises here. I mean, that's plain and simple. And the way it starts off, it's really the emphasis on what God has done. You know, 
And as it should be. I mean, Abraham's 100, right? Sarah's 90. So God keeps his his promises. In verse 3, it says, And Abraham called on the called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, in other words, not Hagar, Isaac. And when Abraham, then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and all who hear will laugh with me. She also said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. So um, I can imagine, you know, Sarah's in heaven, obviously, and uh, she is in heaven when when the New Testament, New Testament was being written. And so I can imagine when Paul wrote in uh, Philippians, I can do all things through Christ strengthens me. Sarah was probably the number one cheerleader for that verse uh, because it was uh, purely a miracle. So number one, God keeps its promises if you're filling in the sheets. So actually it was a happy time for Abraham and Sarah because they finally, um, finally, you know, got their son that God had promised him. You know, and what I was thinking about this, so it's kind of interesting how uh, how things have changed uh, uh, since the time of Abraham. You know, uh, it, in our culture, it seems like we're not really that interested in having children. You know, when what God told Noah when he when he got off the ark, he says, "Be fruitful and multiply." And uh, and be honest with you, I think everyone took that pretty serious up until uh, about eighteen hundred. Actually, I thought it went farther than that because I know Jane's family. Uh, there was five kids in her family. There was five kids in mine, but in my in my my dad's family, there was twelve kids, and and in and in her mom's family, there was twelve kids also. So, families, and I saw, thought that was the norm. But I actually did some research on it, and uh, the big families kind of ended around eighteen hundred, and so. You know, I was just kind of looking at the, you know, statistics, the facts or whatever. So I started looking into it. And I think the best I can tell, uh, the decline in the birth rate is associated with something called the age of enlightenment. I don't know if you, if you uh, remember your world history, but between 17 and 1800, there was uh, a whole lot of uh, new, new thinking taking place. Uh, uh, yeah, some of it was good and some of it was not so good. Um, uh, basically, uh, Jefferson, you know, the major one of the guys that wrote our Declaration of Independence, he was one of these uh, uh, enlightened thinkers. And so the idea of uh, religious freedom, uh, the, the idea of a democracy, all came out of this enlightenment period. And those were the good things. Uh, there was also, though, out of that same thing, uh, an anti-religious element. So in other words, there was uh, uh, a move away from God, so you know, you know, God doesn't really exist, and and all that sort of thing. Uh, there was the secret societies, uh, the Freemasons, uh, the Illuminati. I don't know if you guys, uh, you know, Illuminati are like the One World Order guys, uh, uh, which kind of kind of falls in with uh, what the Bible talks about, uh, actually. Uh, but uh, 
And also the big one, uh, humanism. I know it, at different home fellowships I've talked about hum- humanism before. Humanism is actually a religion that denies the existence of God. I mean, if you go through the, the first humanist manifesto and it just lists things. I mean, the Bible says in the beginning God created heaven and earth. Humanist manifesto, it, it would just click off and say just everything 180 degrees off. The Bible says tit. The, uh, the humanist manifesto says tat. You know, it's just that type of thing. So uh, there was a lot of stuff that came out of that. And if in our, in our uh, modern area, you've heard about people considering themselves progressives well the progressives actually came out of this is uh the the evolution of that particular uh, uh thinking and so um the i think we can see the effects of it right now i mean in a in a real way uh like social security uh, we have this government uh, you know thing where the government's going to take care of you and it's starting to fall apart because God said, go forth and multiply, and, well, we haven't done that. I think we average about two kids per family now, and at that rate, it, the, the system can't sustain itself. And so um, it's just not following God's plan is probably not a good idea. Uh, we just have more people on Social Security drawing from it than that are paying into it. So... Um, And that's all as a fact of just not following what God says to do. So back in Genesis, uh, they've waited 25 years, okay? They've waited 25 years. Abraham was 75 when God first told them uh, that that he was going to have a son, and now he's 100. So, yeah, pretty complicated math there. Uh, 25 years. It's uh, definitely a lesson in patience, Okay. So, number two, Abraham and Sarah waited 25 years. The birth of Isaac, a lesson in patience. Uh, Hebrews uh, 6.10. Hebrews Hebrews itself is a really good commentary on the Old Testament, especially on uh, Abraham. And so, but in 6.10, actually uh, 6.10 through 12, um, let's see here if we can get that up on the screen. Yeah, there you go. It says, um, "It says, for God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love uh, you have shown towards His name, in that you have ministered to the saints." So I just want to talk about that. It just doesn't really have anything to do with what we're talking about here, but it's kind of interesting that it says God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown toward His name in that you have ministered to the saints. And so when you're ministering to other people, whatever it may be, you know, whatever God has for you to minister to people with, you're actually uh, doing that to God. I mean, there's other people, but God sees that as you doing that to him. Uh, it, says, it says here again, it says, in that you have ministered to his saints and do minister or continue to minister. And then verse 11 it gets into the patience part. He says, and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. You know, diligence, I mean, you've got to keep at it. That you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. 
So this reflects right back to Abraham and Sarah, 25 years. I mean, that's a long time. I'm trying to think, what was I doing 25 years ago? I had more hair then. Um, So God would have us uh, imitate the patience of Abraham and Sarah. So, you know, patience is not popular. It's just not popular. Uh, I just started thinking about patience, and I was thinking patience in your car. I mean, there's always, you know, there's the patience of, like, people are cutting you off on the freeway. But the one that really stands out to me is is I'm sitting at a stoplight, and there's a guy in front of me, and there's a guy behind me, okay? And so the guy behind me thinks that he is a uh, national drag strip, uh, drag, drag, uh, yeah, right. So, and the light changes, and his reflexes are like two-tenths of a second faster than the guy in front of me, and the light turns green, and he starts honking his horn, right? So I'm thinking, the guy in front of me thinks I'm doing that, right? And I'm not doing that. But anyway, so patience in your car, you know, just stuff. But, but then there's patience to buy things, okay? The idea that, oh, gosh, you know, I need to have that, and you know, I don't want to wait. I need to have that right now. And so what it ends up with is that we, we're so impatient to the point that we would go in debt to get stuff, you know, that maybe we don't actually really need. Proverbs 22.7 says, The borrower is a slave to the lender. It kind of goes back to patience. It really does, because we can't wait for something we may not even need. So uh, we're in the book of Hebrews, and I wanted to just look at one other spot here. Uh, the book of Hebrews... Uh, it really talks about the faith of Abraham and Sarah. So in Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 12. <clears throat> Starting at verse 8, it says, By faith, uh, Abraham obeyed when he was called out to go to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going, by faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country. In other words, he was living in the place that God had told him was going to be his, but he's living there like he is in a foreign country. Uh, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs of, with him of the same promise. Uh, for he waited for the city which, was, which has foundations, which has foundations whose builder and maker is God. So what I get out of that is, you know, Abraham had these promises and he was going through the land that God had promised to him but still hadn't given to him. And so we don't always see uh, God's plan play out, you know, in our lifetime even. You know, Abraham didn't see his plan play out in his lifetime. Or should I say sometimes we don't see our plan for God play out, you know. Sometimes we think, this is how it's going to be, God, but not necessarily. So, uh, Abraham was faithful. He never he never possessed the land that God had promised him, and he certainly waited a long time for um, Isaac to be born. But he still believed that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. So, Abraham had faith. So, verse 11 
By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. So number three, Abraham and Sarah exercised faith. So we've been kind of looking at Abraham and Sarah for quite a while now, actually. Um, Would you say that Abraham and Sarah led perfect lives? No, no. Uh, But yet they're listed in Hebrews 11, and there's what they call the Hall of Fame. Uh, In Hebrews 11, they're there. And so I think what we need to look at is, number one, you're looking at the grace of God, obviously, uh, because nobody's perfect. But, and I think that people make mistakes, but I think what God does is God looks at our heart. Uh, he looks at our heart, even like when we struggle, and he knows, he knows our heart, because like in Romans 7, where you know the things you want to do, you don't do, and the things you don't want to do, those are the things you do. And there, it's just the condition of uh, mankind. That's just the way it is. And so I think when we look at Abraham and Sarah, they're in that hall of fame, but it's by the grace of God, by the grace of God. And nobody's perfect. And, oh, God wants us all to do the best we can. And I think if he sees our heart and he knows that, and uh, that's a good thing. Uh, number four, therefore, from one man and him as good as dead. So we're just filling in the verse there. We're born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude. So the birth of Isaac was a miracle. I mean, there's just no two ways about it. I mean, Abraham's 100, uh, Sarah's 90. And uh, there's, a, there's actually a striking uh, resemblance between um, uh, Isaac and Christ. Um, and we're, we'll talk a little bit about this week, but next week we're going to get, it's pretty heavy duty. Uh, if you look at, if you compare Genesis uh, 21.2, it says, For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. Okay, and then in Galatians 4.4, 4, uh, you got Paul uh, talking about Jesus. He says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. So uh, both were miracle births. I mean, I mean, Jesus' uh, virgin birth, uh, uh, Isaac, I, I don't know what you call that. It's just it's a miracle. I mean, there's no two ways about it. So you got two miracle births. You have God design, uh, deciding at a certain point in time when this is going to happen. I think with Isaac, it had to happen at that time, so there could be no question that Isaac was from God, okay? And so with Jesus, it was uh, the virgin birth. Um, but so a lot of similarities. Uh, next week, we're going to see a, 
a whole bunch more. So number six, God is good. So since we're on the topic of babies, uh, uh, in our family, we've, we've definitely witnessed the goodness of God. I mean, it's just uh, a lot of you, I think, maybe heard the story. Others that haven't, but uh, uh, our second daughter, uh, her and her husband were trying to get pregnant for four years. I mean, a long time, four years. It just wasn't happening. They were going to, you know, fertility guys, uh, fertility specialists and all this. And um, it, it carried on a long time. I mean, they were just, I remember going up and Jennifer was, uh, I call it twig tea. I mean, she was like, had all these herbs and trying stuff and, you know, just nothing was working. And so there's an adoption lawyer in their church that said, you know, you know once you've exhausted all natural means, if, you know, if, if if you want to consider adoption, I'll take care of the lawyer part of it for you for free. And uh, so they said, okay, and they kept, kept trying. And so finally they had kind of run the course with this one doctor, and they went to a second doctor. And uh, they went to the second doctor, and they're kind of going through the same stuff again. And it just happened that there was a Christian uh, physician's assistant in this doctor's office. And they were there one day, and... And, uh, you know, she knew that John and Jennifer were, you know, John's a, a youth pastor and stuff like that. And so she said, you know, I think maybe this is God's telling you that you should adopt. And so they said, well, you know, maybe we'll take uh, Doug, that's the adoption lawyer, maybe we'll take him up on that. So what they did is they filled out this profile. It's a kind of interesting thing. It's like a, it's like a resume to be a, to be a parent, and it's... I thought it was really nice. I mean, they went and got professional pictures taking, taken, and then they would write little things about, you know, how they, what their goals as a parent would, how they would parent, and they had pictures of the family, and then the pictures of the youth group, and I mean, it was just really nice. I mean, uh, my son-in-law did a great job with it. So they turned it in. They turned it in, and uh, I think it was the day or the day after they turned it in. The lawyer called and said, you know, there was a birth mom that just called me. It's a perfect situation for you. Uh, you know, she has insurance and doesn't want any money. She just wants looking for a good family. And so um, they turned their profile in, and he submitted her, theirs with 50 others. And uh, the birth mom went through it, and four days later uh, calls back and say, I want these people here. So for four years, they've been trying, and uh, so they, they turned the profile in. Four days later, which is, that in itself is a miracle. A lot of times, that process will take years. So four days later, they get picked. They, they meet with the birth mom the next, next uh, week, and they kind of talk together. Things are great, but the baby's due in four weeks, <laughs> right? So, I mean, we're like craziness, right? Four weeks later... I mean, normally you've know, you got nine months to kind of adjust to the fact that there's going to be big changes in their house. Well, four weeks later, they're at the house, and uh, they get a phone call. And it's the birth mom saying, you know, I can't, I can't get a hold of my birth coach. Can you take me to uh, the hospital? Sure. Where are you at? So they jump in the car. They go pick her up. And uh, she's... My my son-in-law, John, is telling me she's like in some serious labor at this point when they picked her up. 
And uh, so they were supposed to, they live in Santa Barbara, they're supposed to have the baby in Ventura. So they start to get on the freeway. And he's asking her, you think you can make it to Ventura? Oh, yeah, yeah, I can make it, I can make it. So they get on the freeway, and uh, uh, they hadn't even made it to the next exit. She says, no, you better pull over. We need to go to Cottage. That's the name of the hospital in Santa Barbara. So they, they get off the exit, right? And as they're on the exit, she goes, no, you need to pull over. I'm going to have this baby right now, right? So, so they pull into Avon's parking lot. And uh, uh, the birth mom had been sitting up front. They have a small little Honda Civic, and, and Jennifer was in the back. And so the birth mom gets out, gets in the back seat, and lays down. She's getting ready to have a baby, right? So John walks around and looks at this. Oh, gosh, she's kind of exposed. So he goes to the trunk, rummages through the trunk, gets his jacket out. He's going to cover the birth mom up, right? He comes back, and Jennifer's on her knees in the Vaughn's parking lot delivering her own baby right so she actually gets to deliver her own baby i mean this is the paramedics hadn't even got there yet the paramedics show up about like five or ten minutes later and they cut the cord and do the things that paramedics do so it's just an amazing uh birth right so the next year they're getting ready for uh, maya was born uh, you know sweet kid they're getting ready to have her one-year birthday party, and uh, Jennifer's noticing that, you know, the normal things aren't happening, and she goes to the to the doctor, and voila, she's pregnant. <laughs> yeah, so she's pregnant. And the, the previous doctors told her she had, like, a 1%, maybe 2% chance of ever having kids just because it was a physical thing. So... Um, I just say that because, uh, you know, God didn't wind everything up and walk away. You know, God intervenes into the lives of people. He does. Um, you know, and it's according to his timing. You know, it's according to his timing, that's for sure. But, uh, yeah. Anyway. So Genesis 21.8 says, uh, So the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the same day Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom uh, she had born to Abraham, scoffing. So like other versions say, he's mocking or laughing. So, you know, Abraham's got a big party to celebrate Isaac being able to eat real food and it's kind of a major step in the development uh, of Isaac. You know, was, he, he made it through that period. I, I think infant mortality might've been a little higher back then. So it was a cause for celebration. Uh, so there's a good chance though, that little Isaac was wearing a robe that designated him as Abraham's heir. You know, like remember Joseph had the coat of many colors. So, so anyway, Ishmael, he's a, teenager right so he's like he's at least uh, 16 years old maybe 17 depending on how old uh, Isaac was when he's when he's wind and so I don't know if you, uh, you know we kind of went through the whole raising kids thing and it's like there's this kids are growing up and they're kind of goofy and whatever and then there's a point right before they uh, get into their teen years where you think they're really 
my kids have been listening since sliced bread. What a great parent I am. And then the teenage years come, and it's like all of a sudden, dad's the stupidest guy in the world. He doesn't know anything, and they kind of go brain dead. So I'm thinking that maybe uh, Ishmael might have been in that mode. You know, he, he thinks, you know, Abraham, he doesn't know anything. I'm smarter than him. And he probably resents uh, Isaac. So he starts mocking him, you know. In verse 10, uh, this is uh, Sarah. Therefore, she said to Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son, for uh, the son of this bondwoman shall not be uh, heir with my son, namely with Isaac. And the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. So I can kind of understand, you know, Abraham was having a hard time with this thought of, because she's saying, you know, you need to get rid of these guys. And, you know, he's kind of been raising him up and, you know, hey, he's my son, you know. Okay. Verse 12, but God said to Abraham, do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. So there's, there's only one thing that you can say about that. Happy wife, happy life. Okay, let's move on from there. For in Isaac your seed shall be called. Yet I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman because he is your seed. Uh, so Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and put it on her shoulder. He gave it and the boy to Hagar and sent her away. When she departed and wandered in the, then she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water and the skin was used up, and she placed the boy under one of the shrubs. So they got out there and they ran out of water. Then she went and sat down across from him at a distance, uh, about a bow shot. So we're talking about a bow and arrow, maybe up to a half mile. Uh, For she said to herself, let me not see the death of the boy. So she she sat opposite him and lifted her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad. Then the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, What ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Kind of interesting that God heard um, Ishmael. Uh, You know, it's... um, um, It's... This is a common thing. I don't know about for you, but it is for me. A lot of times uh, I'll worry and fret over things that never actually happen. And that's kind of what's happening to uh, Hagar here. She's out. They're out of water. Things are looking bad. but And she's thinking, you know, Ishmael, he's, he's gone. He's, it's all over for him. But God intervenes and says, hey, you know, what's up? God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. So God has a prescription for this, and it's uh, Philippians 4.8. And uh, this is the mental health verse. Uh, this is what I falls into what I call the walking down the street verses. Um, uh, this verse comes up all the time, mainly because it's a verse that I that I have to think about all the time. And it's finally, brother, whatever things are true, okay, 
So he's going to list a bunch of things. But the very first one is the very probably the most important. He says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true. It's the mental health verse. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, right? Whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if anything... And if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things or think about these things. But the very first one is what I'm thinking about, is it actually true? And if you can get past that, because if you're brutally honest with yourself, most of the time when you're worrying and fretting over something and you're thinking about something, you don't really know if that's true or not. And so he says, uh, basically by default he's saying, if it's not true, don't think about it. So you're going to lop off just a whole bunch of stuff. You can just kind of clear the table off. All this stuff that you're thinking about that you don't know if it's true or not. But it is possible that what you're thinking about could be true and it's a bad thing. But what does he do? He says, he goes on, he says, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, <clears throat> whatever things are pure, whatever things that are lovely, whatever things that are a good report... If there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these. So he's basically saying, even if it's true and it's bad, don't waste your time on it. Think about good things. I know it's, sometimes it's easier to say that than it is to actually do it. But <clears throat> like I always say, this isn't me saying this. This is the God of the universe saying this. And he goes on to say, if you do that, the peace that passes all understanding, right? that part but so so number eight if you look at the whole thing in context Hagar's worries were unfounded Hagar's worries were unfounded so 18 starting at verse 18 uh, it says arise uh, lift up lift up the lad and hold him with your hand for I will make him a great nation. Uh, you remember uh, Hagar's first encounter with God? Uh, it was uh, back in uh, chapter 16. Remember, Sarah just realized that it was a mistake to have Abraham and Hagar. Yeah. Okay? It was a mistake. And so let's just take a look at that. So that's the background. So Abraham said to Sarai, uh, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. She was on her way home back to Egypt. And he said, uh, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? Okay. I'm going to tell you, that verse, we talked a little bit about it when we were back in 16, but that verse has been rolled around in my head from how many weeks ago, that four or five weeks ago, till now. And it finally dawned on me that what was happening is, is I'm considering, where have you come from? I know where I've come from. But better yet, I know where I'm going. So... uh that's a huge, uh, uh, there's a huge peace of mind wrapped up in that. 
And I think most everybody in this room knows where they've come from and they know where they're going. But then I started thinking about what about all the people that really don't know where they're going? They don't even know where they're at right now, much less where they've come from. It's kind of interesting to thought to think about. It made me think about a lot of people that I work with and uh, just acquaintances and stuff like that because we have the opportunity to make them realize where they're at and where they could be. So, uh, so in verse 6, uh, so um, Abraham said to Sarai, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Uh, do to her as you please. And Sarai dealt harshly with her. And now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring in the water, spring of water in the wilderness. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. So Hagar believed God and she returned. You know what I mean? I'm I'm under the assumption she could have said, I don't think so. You know? And she probably, I mean, she was in a kind of a weird situation. Uh, But the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. So, and we're going to go back to verse 21, and you're going to see here that God reaffirms the same promise to Hagar. So, here in... uh, In verse 18, it says, Arise, lift up the lad, hold him with your hand, for I'll make him a great nation. So even though Hagar is not part of, like, this chosen line to Christ, uh, God shows, like, mercy and grace on Hagar. She's really a slave girl, you know, from Egypt that kind of got drug out of Egypt along with uh, Abraham. I think it's incredible that, you know, know, God's got this huge plan going. He's got the plan of salvation set in motion and here's this Hagar and God says you know what I'm going to take care of you Hagar so then then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and uh, when I just I totally relate to this it's like you know find yourself in a hard place and you're you know fretting and worrying or whatever and at some point you look and the answer is right there in front of you it's just right there so um, another walking down the street verses, 1 Corinthians uh, 10.13, um, no temptation or trial. We've talked about this before, but the word temptation could have been translated as temptation or trial, either one. Okay, uh, I think they chose temptation because if you succumb to temptation, it's going to lead to a trial. So. Uh, but so if you if you look at it, no temptation or trial is overtaking you except which is common to man. In other words, there's nothing new under the sun. Somebody else has went through the same stuff that before you. you know, okay, you're not unique in the universe. He says, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted or be in a trial beyond whether you are able. But with the temptation or trial, will also make a way of escape so that you may be able to bear it. Basically, it's basically, you know, to paraphrase that, God's not going to give you anything that you can't handle. And there's going to be a way out. He's going to give you a way out. Now, if you've succumbed to some temptation, 
maybe the way out may not be pleasant or may not be what, you know, the ideal situation may be, but it'd be perfect whatever situation you're in. God's going to give that to you, okay? So Hagar's in a trial. She's in a trial here. She's out in the middle of the desert, ran out of water, okay? But God takes care of Hagar. God's going to take care of you. He will. Okay, from verse 19, one more time. It says, Then God opened her eyes, and she saw the well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. So God was with the lad, and he grew and dwelled in the wilderness and became an archer, and he dwelled in the wilderness of Paran. And his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Okay, so... Um, so the past few weeks, you know, we've talked about a lot of people, uh, Abraham, Sarah, Hagar, Lot. I mean, there's just a lot of stuff. If you remember that uh, initially God told Abraham to leave his family and go to a place where God would show him, right? Just basically, hey, pack your stuff and head on out. Okay, I'll show you when you get there. And so, But Abraham didn't really... Uh, follow the directions. Remember, he said, leave your family behind. He didn't leave his family behind. He took a lot. Okay. So, and if you remember what we studied so far, that we got to the point to where they, you know, they went down to Egypt, they came out and, uh, and they split up because they, their herds were too great. And that's when a lot kind of, kind of veered off course and headed to Sodom. Yeah. But, uh, but it was at that point when the conditions that God had originally set, in other words, leave your family behind, that's when he reaffirmed and, and talked more about the covenant that he was going to have with him. So God said, okay, you didn't do exactly what I told you to do. We're just going to, now we're on plan B. We're going to work through it. And you know, lot's gone. Okay, now we're on track, what I originally wanted. And he, like, reveals more stuff to Abraham. Okay? And then there's a problem with Hagar and Ishmael. We went after. We just kind of went through that. I mean, it's that wasn't part of God's plan, um, but in both cases, God shows mercy and grace. He does it to Hagar and, because she was part of something that wasn't part of the deal. You know what I'm saying? And then, and even to Lot. Uh, and and you know, we read in like in in Second Peter that uh, he even declared Lot a righteous man. I mean, by all counts, when you read that, it doesn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think that. But uh, the people that suffered in Abraham's journey were the people of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so I just want you to remember a couple of things, because what we're talking about is the, what I would call the nature of God or the love of God and the justice of God. And there's, because both of those exist. I mean, we like to talk about the love of God, but uh, the justice of God, sometimes we don't want to get there, but you almost have to have, you can't have one without the other, really. Uh, and so uh, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, if you remember, their king, King Barah, remember his name was what? Son of evil, all right? Okay, he tried to buy Abraham out. Remember when Abraham went and saved Lot and he, and he came back? The king of Sodom was trying to buy him out. You know, hey, take all this stuff. Abraham doesn't want anything to do with it. But I think the really the key one is in Genesis thirteen thirteen, and uh, I don't know if I have thirteen thirteen. I don't know if I have that or not. Oh, 
Yeah. Are you guys seeing that? Oh, there we go. 13, 13. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. So you have this situation in in Sodom where uh, it wasn't people that were trying to live their lives for God or they honored God and, you know, they were just messing up like we all do. This is something completely different. You know, uh, they were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. So they're against God on purpose, okay? And so uh, I guess what I came away with this was that you have this just awesome God that, you know, obviously, you know, he's got this plan for Abraham and Isaac and Sarah and all this. And so he's got mercy and grace, and we looked at that for them. But he also has it for the the players that maybe aren't so prominent in this whole story, uh, which would be Hagar and Lot. And and so God has this uh, just a, a whole bunch of grace for people that would just humble themselves before God and recognize that God is God and they're not. You see what I'm saying? So... The other flip side of that is the people in Sodom that were kind of shaking their fist at God, okay? So um, I say uh, God is great, and I don't know why people would shake their fist at God and go against him. Uh, It's like kicking against the goats. Not a good thing. So let's pray. Father, we just uh, thank you for your word, and we thank you that... uh, the grace that we can see that you show towards uh, everyone uh, and uh, and the stories that we've been reading here about Abraham and Sarah and Hagar and Lot. Lord, we just thank you for the love that you poured out on us and uh, that you provide a way for everyone to have a relationship with you through Jesus. And Lord, we just thank you and pray that uh, as we go out this week that we would uh, remember that. And Lord, uh, we remember where we're coming from and where we're going to. And Lord, uh, give us uh, wisdom to help others realize that also. Let's pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.